1: This is a podcast from Minute Media. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to this episode of Astros Baseball. Joining me today, the voice of the Fayetteville Woodpeckers, Andrew Chapman. Andrew, thanks for coming on today.
2: Hey, you bet, Rob. I uh, I, I enjoy coming on and uh, talk a little prospects, uh, all the future Astros down here in Fayetteville at the single A level.
1: All right, let's start with. Your early days. Where did you grow up, and how did you decide that you wanted to go to Arizona State?
2: Yeah, ASU. It was uh, it was kind of a last second decision. I actually toured Washington State, another Pac twelve school, and enjoyed that area of the country and their campus. And then decided I'd take a last minute trip out to Arizona State with mom and dad. and And uh, the Cronkite School was a state of the art facility with great student radio station, uh, a television studio, play-by-play opportunities for students. And, and I knew that was uh, kind of the spot I needed to be. So I made a last-second uh, change and, and decided to go to ASU starting in 2013. I originally grew up in Stockton, California. That's where I went to high school in the Central Valley, just about an hour and a half inland of, of San Francisco and just a little bit south of the capital city of Sacramento. And uh, I grew up around baseball at a young age. My dad was the general manager of Stockton Ports, the minor league team in town, from about nineteen uh, ninety-nine to uh, nineteen ninety 1990 to nineteen ninety nine. So I grew up around a minor league dugout and a clubhouse just as a little kid, and played baseball up through high school. But still had aspirations after the playing days to stay involved in sports media, and and then uh, Arizona State gave me that opportunity to. Call play by play for not only Arizona State baseball but also the softball team, and do a variety of different sports like uh, basketball and and football and a little bit of women's soccer as well. and And uh, it was a great four year education, a good mixture of uh, fun and also seriousness. Uh, it got to help me start my career, and and now this is my uh, my fourth year in the minor leagues, and and I've broadcasted games really from every time zone from Rancho Cucamonga in the California League to Biloxi in the Southern League and and now out here in, in Fayetteville in, in North Carolina so I'm a long way from home but but I've enjoyed uh, being out here the last couple of seasons.
1: So you covered all those sports in uh, college what was your I know you're a baseball guy but what's your favorite sport to do play-by-play for?
2: Yeah, base, baseball is the, uh, the favorite sport to do play-by-play for just because it allows that storytelling element. There's that little bit of downtime in between every pitch where you can really dive into a guy's background. And, and uh, baseball is just a, it's a game of trends. And so I love dissecting the numbers and looking at who's hot, who's cold, what pitchers are, are, uh, are doing well. And, and that's, that's what I love about baseball. When it comes to overall environment, nothing gets better than a packed uh, basketball gym. I think when you have that sound just resonating throughout the entire building, when you get a roof on the place, and uh, that's one of the best environments in, in all of sports. Especially like a college basketball game; those can those can really make for for good television and fun broadcasting. But I would just say, from a storytelling element, uh, baseball has always been the favorite. It's the sport that I grew up playing, and and uh, and I'm most comfortable with. Just have the most natural feel for. And uh, and it's the one that uh, I enjoy spending my summers, summers calling long, long days. But uh, and, you know, you're calling baseball every single day. That's what makes it great being able to get on the air every night, get all of the reps. And and that's what makes it my favorite sport.
1: So you mentioned that you played baseball through high school and you wanted to stay in the game. I mean, was there a time before that that you knew you wanted to be a broadcaster? When did you how long did you know that's what you wanted to do?
2: Yeah. So there was uh, a moment. It was 2010 and game one of the World Series. I again grew up just about an hour and a half outside of the Bay Area and uh, wasn't a huge San Francisco Giants fan. I actually grew up watching Atlanta Braves games as a kid in the late 90s and early 2000s when they had that national television deal with with TBS and their home games would be shown. So I grew up on Chipper Jones and, and all of those big time Atlanta Braves and and, and still enjoy watching their games to, to this day with their, their new young team. But uh, in 2010, that was when the San Francisco Giants made it to the World Series, first of uh, their three championships. And they played the Texas Rangers that year. My dad, I, I don't know how he did it, but he managed to get his hands on some tickets and uh, brought me and my brother to game one of that World Series. It was a Tim Lincecum versus Cliff Lee pitching matchup. Giants ended up winning the game. I, I don't quite remember the final score. Uh, but I do remember just walking into that environment. I'd been to some major league games in the past, but never to a event, a sporting event of that magnitude, where the eyes of the nation are on you. Every media outlet in the country is there covering that ball game, and to walk in and, and see the play-by-play guys up in the booth and see the guys down on the field and the players warming up, and, and just the sea of media and fifty thousand fans packing uh, that ballpark in the Bay Area. It was kind of like that epiphany moment where you're like, I want to try and be a part of scenes like this for the rest of my career. And, and uh, at that point, I said, sports media is, is the path I want to go down. I said, I don't know how, you know, where, where to start. And eventually found that start at Arizona State. And, and uh, at that time, I wasn't sure if play-by-play was where I wanted to go or studio hosting or what it might be. But uh, seeing that type of environment for the first time, and I know Astros fans can relate, being at Maid Park for some of those gigantic crowds. Uh, that, was, that was the atmosphere that, that got me to really want to pursue this as a career.
1: So the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism, is that only at Arizona State or are there multiple of those?
2: Yeah, so it's, it's only at Arizona State. Uh, Arizona State such a big campus. It has a student body, an in-person student body of around 50,000, and then it can double that with all of their online students. So it's so big that there's multiple campuses at Arizona State main one being in Tempe, Arizona, where the football stadium is located and, and most of the uh, the athletics. But the Cronkite School was built, uh, I believe, a little bit before 2010. And that was a, a part of a new downtown Phoenix campus. So it's right in the heart of downtown Phoenix, amongst all the other skyscrapers down there. Little uh, little campus that takes up a, a chunk of downtown. And so it was, uh, it was cool because I got to work on my... Journalism schooling and, and my broadcasting, and have all that in downtown Phoenix. I lived down there a couple of years, and also spent uh, a couple of years out in Tempe, Arizona. And that's where uh that's where you'd go to have your fun every once in a while at tailgate for a football game, or or hit up Mill Avenue, something like that, with uh, with your buddies. So I got to kind of migrate between both campuses, and uh it's a it's a cool layout that they have out there in the desert.
1: So I checked out a, a YouTube video. I think you must have shared it on your on your Twitter page. Uh-huh. And I have to say you have a, a really, really good voice. And so what I was curious of, is that mostly just natural? You always had this natural voice or is that something that they teach you in school?
2: Well, uh, thank you. I, I, I appreciate that. Um, you know, it's, it's one thing to sound good and then you got to, you got to know what you're, you're talking about too. So I think I'm still working on the know what you're talking about uh, <laughs> side of broadcasting. Um, but you know, I think it's just something that's developed over time, and I think my voice has gotten progressively better since college. Now that I've been calling baseball games day after day after day, probably close to five hundred games at this stage over the last four uh, four seasons, you you just work out that voice. It's kind of like a, a a muscle, and it it starts to resonate a little bit more. and And I do a lot of vocal management stuff. You know, I, I drink my hot tea. I, I suck on Paul's cough drops before games. I'll I'll uh you know even a little nightcap whiskey or something later later in the night helps uh clear out any of the you know the the phlegm I guess in the uh the throat and uh so you know that that stuff goes a long way just vocal preservation but um uh, my dad was a broadcaster too before he got into uh the front office side of things in minor league baseball he was at San Francisco State and he did uh, three or four seasons of of play-by-play my grandfather on my dad's side was uh was I guess you could call him a crooner back in the fifties and sixties. He was in that into that uh, Sinatra type of music and he would go to local restaurants and, and sing and, and he had a couple of CDs that he he had produced. And and so I guess there's a little bit of vocal talent in the family as well. And uh, fortunately it's it's been a I guess a generational thing. So it's a uh, it's good that good that I have a little bit of that from the family lineage.
1: When you get out of college, what was your first paying job? as a broadcaster?
2: Well, it, it wasn't my first broadcast job because I took an unpaid internship in the minors to just get started and get my foot in the door. Um, and I really, really feel for a lot, of, uh, a lot of the kids now who are coming out of this pandemic with the reorganization of the minors and all the contraction of franchises and the, uh, and as a result, the, the limitation of, of play-by-play jobs in the business right now. It's really become tough for some of those graduating students. But um, I started with an unpaid internship. It was in Rancho Cucamonga with the Quakes, the Dodgers affiliate. It was such a fun season. There were so many future big leaguers on that team. There was Gavin Lux and Tony Gonsolin and and Dustin May, all these guys that are now pitching for the L.A. Dodgers. Uh, Dean Kramer, who's now with the Orioles, He, he went over there after the Manny Machado trade. Fun season. We won a championship that year, so it was entirely worth it. It was the best introduction to minor league baseball I could have asked for. And then uh, finally after that, after kind of grinding it out and had some help from my parents, they've always been so supportive of, of my career and, and getting started in, in this profession. Uh, I was able to land that job with the Biloxi Shuckers, Double A for the Milwaukee Brewers. And then that was the first time where uh, I started seeing a, a little bit of compensation for my, my play-by-play and, and media relations work. Um, but 2019, I guess, two years removed from college is when I actually started to... Uh, to make a, a couple dollars off of, off of the, uh, off the passion, you know, but you got to have the passion because the money ain't there for, uh, you know, quite some time still isn't, but you know, I, I love what I do.
1: So tell me about how you got the job with uh, Fayetteville. How'd that come about?
2: So, um, yeah, between Biloxi and, and Fayetteville, there was actually a pit stop in between after I was with the Biloxi Shuckers in 2019, I, Landed a lead broadcast job for the first time with the Jackson Generals, who were the Diamondbacks A affiliate uh, in the same league up in Jackson, Tennessee, in between uh, Memphis and Nashville. And the plan was for me to go up there, and and uh, it was pretty cool getting my first job in the minor, first full-time job in the minors, uh, just my third year in it, already being in AA, um, but that was in November of 2019 when I, when I got that job, and I'm... I know we all uh, can. We all know what happened about five months later. World shut down. Minor league season was canceled. A COVID pandemic, and uh, and then after that, there was the reorganization of the minor leagues. All the contraction of of those rookie ball franchises, and unfortunately, a couple of full season franchises, which included uh, the Generals, who I was working for. Uh, so I was uh, I was ultimately uh, furloughed and uh, tried to link on with a local uh, sports talk radio station in Jackson, Tennessee for a little while. I I did some sports talk radio. I had this morning drive show called the press box with Andrew Chapman, which was, uh, which is fun. It was, it was a, a call in show, but it was three hours every morning. I didn't really have a producer. It was a lot on my end and, and, uh, ended up trying to link back on with the generals. They hosted the Winnipeg gold eyes in the, uh, summer of 2000 and 21 or uh, I guess it was the uh, summer of 2020 because indie indie ball was still being played. The gold eyes were an American association team and, and Jackson hosted them for a few months. But then once the Canadian border opened up, the gold eyes went back up to Winnipeg and, uh, and I was able to, uh, before that, before actually, um, sticking around in Jackson, there was an opening in Fayetteville. This is about April of 2021. And, uh, and I knew I could either stick around in Jackson, wasn't sure how long it was going to last or go to Fayetteville. And, and ultimately, I was able to uh, to land the opportunity out with the Fayetteville Woodpeckers. So I uh, packed my car up on super short notice, kind of broke out of an apartment lease in Tennessee and bust out to the Carolinas to, to start. I actually wasn't even living in Fayetteville by the time the season started. It was so rushed that the team was on their first road trip of the year. And, and I'm moving into an apartment. And uh, within about four or five days of, of living in town, it was it was off and going, and, and our first homestand was already uh, upon us. So it was kind of a, a rushed stretch of time for me, pretty frantic at one point, not knowing whether I'd be in the minors or not after that whole debacle in Tennessee, but uh, glad to have landed where I am, and and it's been uh, it's been great working with Fayetteville, a, a franchise that's that's owned by the Astros and has all that stability behind it, and a great facility out here too for the players.
1: The reason I came across your name was that uh, I had Jimmy Price on here from Astros Future, uh huh, and he was talking about how you uh, invited him to come on the show or come on the broadcast with him. Yeah. Yeah. And also, there was a a, a bigger name, a, either the day before or the day after him. But how did that come about? How did you meet Jimmy?
2: Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I'll get to the, I'll get to the big name, I guess, I guess in a moment because it, it was uh, Jimmy wasn't quite as big as the guy that we had on the night before him. Sorry, Jimmy, uh, <laughs> but but uh, Jimmy it does does great work in, in following the prospects of Houston and. Astros fans are really fortunate to, to have him behind the computer clipping the highlights of all these uh, young players and, and putting them out on social media. Uh, he told me it was just kind of a passion project for him that started in 2013, Astros Future, just a small little website, and then it has expanded all the way out to multiple social media channels, and uh, he monitors our broadcast in Fayetteville along with Corpus Christi and Sugar Land, and he's always clipping the big highlights and putting them out for Astros fans to take a look at. and and uh, thanks to him, you can really watch all the big plays from the Astros' top prospects each and every night. And when he came out to Fayetteville a few weeks ago, I, I assumed he had some sort of like production team that was helping him with everything. And and he said, no, it's it's just all him. He sits down about five o'clock every night, <laughs> pulls open a few laptops, and is clipping highlights and and writing uh, recaps and, and updates. So uh, he does great work, and and uh, he's it's great to see how much the following for him has has built up over the years. I think he has close to 25,000 Astros fans and other followers uh, tracking his social media now. So we were able to bring him out to Fayetteville a couple weeks ago. I know he had to, uh, a long chat with uh, Joey Loperfito, one of our players out here from Duke university that was drafted last year. He had to have a conversation with Rhett Coba as well. And so we brought him onto the uh, the broadcast also just to talk about some of his travels. He had been in Asheville a couple days prior. And, and I think he makes pretty frequent pit stops in Corpus Christi and, uh, and Sugarland as well. So we're fortunate to have uh, him covering us, and and I know the players like it as well too. Sometimes we'll get on the bus after the game, and you'll hear a player say, "Hey man, you made it on Astros Future," and and those guys think it's cool to to have their highlights uh, put out there for the entire Astros fan base to see. And and uh, and then regarding the the other guests we had on that same series when Jimmy was in town, uh, but an absolute legend. Jeff Bagwell was, was here working with our minor leaguers and he spent two days in Fayetteville before then going to Asheville and working with the high A guys, but he was down on the field uh, and one player after another individual kind of batting practice session with Jeff Bagwell. He spent about 20 minutes with each guy on the field in the cage, just talking about uh, little, you know, tendencies, not only on the physical side of hitting, but the mental side of the game. We have the pitch clock now here at the low A level, which is really rushing the pace of play and uh, hitters not only pitchers are having to adjust to that so i think bagwell was able to give some of those guys insightful advice on on how to go about the the new tempo of the game down here and and fortunately on his final night in town we were able to bring him up to the the broadcast booth and and talk shop with him and and just talk about some of these new rule changes and the the status of the game and and uh tell a few stories as well from his hall of fame days And, and it was so cool we also have a little uh we have a little foul pole. We painted this beam in our booth, uh, yellow to look like a foul pole. And you know how in uh, Fenway park, they have the pesky pole out in right field where fans will sign it. We, uh, we, we gave, uh, we gave Jeff a, a, a Sharpie and he was able to sign the foul pole here in the booth. And he signed it Bagwell hall of fame, 2017. So, uh, nobody, I, I think my, my signature was a little valuable on there prior to the Bagwell one, but now it's been completely drowned out, but it was, uh, it was, it was pretty cool to, uh, to have him out here working with our players and getting the opportunity to to chat with him too. Next up, I guess, is uh, Biggio. we gotta got to see if Biggio can come to town next.
1: <laughs> so what was it like having him sitting next to you in the booth? You weren't starstruck at all?
2: Uh, yeah, you try. It was definitely the the biggest. Uh, someone had asked me the night prior, you know, have you ever interviewed a, a Hall of Famer before? And I kind of racked my brain and, and couldn't really think of anything at, at Arizona State we had a cool opportunity as students to cover uh, spring training. And I was assigned to the San Francisco giants beat as a student reporter. And I got a full media credential and access to the clubhouse and everything. This is pre COVID like 2017. And uh, that was, that was a moment where you're pretty starstruck still just as a student reporter, you try and contain yourself best you can, but you're sitting there in the locker room and here comes Madison Bumgarner and Buster Posey and, and Hunter Pence and every. Big San Francisco giant, you can think of. It's 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 a little daunting going up to those guys and, and asking questions. You know, Bruce Bochy, the manager at the time, Hall of Fame, future Hall of Famer, and and, uh, and that was my, I guess, mo- biggest moment around uh, top professional athletes. So having Bagwell in the uh, in the booth was right up there with that. But uh, he couldn't have he couldn't have been just more human and uh, conversational with us. He you know cracked a couple of jokes. He made us feel pretty comfortable. You know, maybe the first question you ask him is one of those that's pre-prepared and you get a little jittery when you first ask it and he's he's live on the air with you. But then after that, just the conversation started to started to flow naturally. And a good thing about Bagwell too is he understands where broadcasters are coming from with the job they do now that he's working with Todd Callis on the TV side in Houston and and also with Rob Ford and Steve Sparks on the radio side. So uh, he has a he has an interest in broadcasting too, and it's always it's always nice when you have one of those. A great athletes that uh, understands that side of the game also. And, uh, and it was really cool just to sit down with Jeff. And, and fortunately, the first inning we had him on went by super fast. It was like a one, two, three inning. You know, pitch clock is just speeding things right on by. And then the second half, uh, we kept him on for another half inning. And finally, there was, a, like, there was a walk or two or a base hit, and it kind of slowed things down. and We were able to get a little bit more out of the conversation. Um, but one of those things that we, we recorded, we put out on our social media. And if uh, anybody still wanted to go back and, and tune in, I have a link to that on, on my personal Twitter account, and then also the, uh, the Woodpecker's, uh, accounts as well, where you can find that conversation with Bagwell.
1: Yeah, I, I actually saw it and I was listening to it. I didn't listen to all of it because I wanted to be able to ask you a question about it without knowing the answer, uh-huh. but, but you on, uh, when you tweeted about having him in the booth, some of the some of the topics, you know, you mentioned the topics, you know, like uh, Jeremy Payne, your rookie of the year, and also something that I'm interested in hearing about uh, Steve Sparks knuckleball and whether or not he hit a home run or something like
2: that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the answer was he did not. He actually never really I don't think he ever faced Steve Sparks from what he was saying. But Bagwell had this awesome line. He, uh, he said on days when he faced knuckleballers during his career, he just saw it as an off day. <laughs> He'd get to go out there and basically just take free hacks. And and he also uh, he also had the phrase in regards to knuckleballs, if it's low, let it go. If it's high, let it fly. So that was his philosophy at the plate. Anything uh, belt, belt level or higher, he was going to rip it out of the yard. And anything below that, he was just going to let it fall into the dirt. But unfortunately, he never got to uh, – face steve sparks otherwise i'm sure there would have uh, been some fun back and forth between those guys but uh and 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 then i asked him you know do you think the knuckleball's dead in the modern day era and he uh, he said he thinks uh, that it pretty much is uh, just because of how much velocity is is now dominating the game and and really the last guys to effectively throw the knuckleball i think were r.a Dickey and, and of course tim wakefield and maybe a couple other guys in there but um but it was fun to just talk knuckleballs with him and, and just, a, you know, a couple other fun topics regarding uh, his career and, and the, uh, the new rules that are being applied down here at the single A level.
1: I don't know the guy's name, but there's a, a pitcher that pitches for the missions in San Antonio
2: mm-hmm.
1: and he throws a knuckleball, but he also throws a 95 mile an hour fastball.
2: See that? Yeah. See that's that's where I, I feel like we might still see the knuckleball is a guy like that that can do both. You can you can fire home that that fastball that's that's in the mid nineties, but then you can also ease back and throw something that's almost twenty five miles per hour uh, slower. And it used to be you know the standard knuckleballer, the R. A. Dickey, Tim Wakefield, you know you're getting that pitch pretty much eighty five percent of the time. And then maybe they weave in like a curveball or a slider or something like that as well. but most of those guys' fastballs were in the high 80s, if maybe 90 miles an hour, but there wasn't ever that type of player that could really throw mid to high 90s and then also effectively place a knuckleball. So maybe, maybe there's a unicorn out there somewhere like that that exists, like that guy. And uh, if there is, I'd love to see it tried it at the big league level.
1: Yeah, me too. I gotta get that guy's name. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned earlier. That you you have a double header today. Do you guys do seven inning double headers as well?
2: Yes, we do. Yeah, seven inning double headers, which is uh, which is very nice. Uh, helps 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 us broadcasters in the booth. And then there's just really there's not any reason why down at the lower levels of the minors, really any level of the minors, when you're talking prospects, needs to you know be playing eighteen innings of baseball on on any given night. You know, you're trying to just. You're trying to develop down here, prevent injuries as well as you can. Pitchers, even in nine-inning games, are, are pretty much on a pitch count limit every single time they go out there. So protecting the health of the players is the, is the biggest thing. And, and I learned this the other night, too, because we were in Salisbury, Maryland, playing the Delmarva Shorebirds. And it was a Saturday night game, supposed to start at 7 o'clock Eastern. And we got delayed about two hours due to weather. And I'm walking around the press box saying, you know, there ought to be a rule, all these new rules now that are being implemented, where if a game is delayed by more than an hour and first pitch hasn't been thrown, then the umps and the umpires or the uh, the umpires and the coaches can come together and say, let's play seven. And, and sure enough, I guess that rule exists because the uh, the coaches, umpires came together and we didn't start until about nine and they agreed to play a seven inning game. So it's kind of a, an adjust on the fly out here. But uh, but yeah, tonight we'll play two against the Canapolis Cannonballers. And uh, each game will be will be seven innings. We have Nick Swanson starting for us in Game One, and then Christian Mejias in Game Two for the Woodpeckers.
1: You mentioned that you guys are using the pitch clock. Are there any other rules? Any other rules y'all are using that uh, Major League Baseball isn't using?
2: Yeah, we have a lot of them this year. Last season, it was um, it was just one rule per league. Like every single league was working with a different. Uh, different rule. The California league out West had the pitch clock last year and now everybody has it. So we have the pitch clock 14 seconds per pitch when nobody's on base, 18 seconds when runners are on. And you also have the little fold in the rule where the, uh, the batter has to be in the box by nine seconds remaining on the clock. So the, the batters are also uh, forced to get in there. Otherwise it could be an automatic strike call. Uh, on top of that, we have a uh, maximum two step-offs per at-bat for the pitcher. So you can't throw over more than two times. You can throw over a third time, but if you don't get the base runner, then it's an automatic uh, advanced base. So just like a block pretty much. And what we're seeing is when we have the pitch clock and the step-off rules, stolen bases are skyrocketing throughout our league right now because uh, if a pitcher throws over a couple of times, even if he throws over once, and you know as a, as a base runner, he's probably going to be committed to going to the plate. And you have that pitch clock count down from six, five, four. You can – you can kind of start going as a runner, knowing that the pitcher has to come home at any any point. So we're seeing um, advantage base runners in, in that respect with the combination of those two rules. And then we also have a shift ban this year where you have to have two infielders on each side of second base when the pitch is thrown. Now, we're still utilizing the shift with the Woodpeckers, and they're just maximizing the uh, – the shift as much as they can under the rules. So there'll be instances where our shortstop is almost right up the middle, just barely staying on that shortstop side of the the second base bag. Also our right side of the infield will do it. And we're still seeing a lot of hitters ground up the middle and ultimately being forced out at first. So um, in a way the shift still works, even though there is a ban on it, the uh, the heavy shift, at least the three man shift in our league. And we also have the bigger bases this year, which have been, uh, which have, been enlarged and um, from what i can tell it it has helped with runners and first baseman and stuff getting their toes stepped on i have noticed that this year we haven't seen as many of those types of uh, close collision plays where guys are getting ankles stepped on or twisting an ankle because they go into the bag funny there's a little bit of extra extra space i think it's uh i don't know how much bigger exactly metric wise that the bases are um might be like three inches bigger in overall circumference or something like that but um but that's another rule that we have out here. So I think we're working with uh like four total experimental rules down here right now and and uh the biggest the biggest change though has just been the, the pace of play. Pretty much every game is getting completed in about 2 hours and 20 minutes down here. We've played a 156 and we've played an hour 57 this year as well by far the quickest games in our franchise history. So uh that's it's, it's been speedy for sure. And talking mm-hmm. to a lot of hit, uh, hitters and pitchers, they think there needs to be some amendments to the pitch clock. If it does eventually get to the big league level, maybe allow for a little bit more time, you know, instead of 14 seconds and 18 seconds with runners on and off the bases, then maybe more of a, a 17 seconds and, and 20 seconds, you know, give a couple extra seconds for, for wiggle room. And, and I think if we do get a pitch clock at the major league level, eventually I have a feeling we will. They'll probably extend things a little bit compared to where it's at right now because we're just blazing through these games.
1: Do you have any guys that are uh, on the roster right now that you would you would consider future stars that some of us should be on the lookout for, that they just stand out?
2: Sure, sure. Yeah, I know right now when it comes to the uh, Houston Astros system, a lot of the prospects are, are top-heavy out in Sugarland and and Corpus Christi. Um, but we've seen, uh, the emergence of, of two really talented young Latin pitchers down here this year that I know our pitching coach, John Kovalec is, is really enjoying working with. And that's Miguel Uyola who pitched yesterday. Uh, he threw three scoreless innings and then Edinson Bautista Uyola only 19 years old. Bautista is 20. Uh, he's, he's got one of the best sliders on our team right now. And, and Miguel Uyola, what they love about him is the, uh, the high spin rate on his fastball. I guess he has, when you look at some of the, the uh, track man data, he's got one of the best spin rates on his fastball in the entire organization right now. At just night, just 19, he's consistently hitting 95, 96 on the gun. And, uh, and he's been one of the young arms that's really popped in his first year of, of United States baseball. So he's a guy to look out for kind of like Misael Tamara's with us last year that that broke out and, and bumped into the top 15 prospects. And now he's up with double a Corpus Christi. He seemed to have one or two of those pitchers coming from Latin America every year down here that nobody really knows about. They don't have any video on, but then they, they take on some of these Carolina league hitters and you just, you raise your eyebrows and you say, Whoa, this is a, uh, this is a guy that, that the Astros must've scouted. Well, um, because that's, that's one of the, uh, the, the consistent trends I see down here. On top of that, we have Joey Loperfito, who I mentioned a little bit earlier in our chat from Duke University. He was the ACC tournament MVP in 2021. Uh, his 33 game on base streak came to an end yesterday. He went 0 for 4. Um, and so it ends at 33 games consecutive on base for Joey. But that's a franchise record for us. And it was a, it was a great run for him that extended all the way from early May. He's done a great job of, of uh, adding some muscle this year. And just spraying the ball all over the field. And then the, uh, the other guy I would say the Astros fans should uh, keep an eye on is, is Logan Cerny. He was traded over to Houston from Philadelphia in uh, November. It was kind of a quiet offseason, off-season uh, trade that sent him over into our system. And he's uh, tied for second right now in the Carolina League with 10 home runs. Uh, he's, he's a little bit on the skinnier side. I know he's trying to build up muscle right now. You'd never guess that he has the pop that he does, but he's one of the best fastball hitters I've, I've seen come through Fayetteville in the last couple of years. Um, and just really knows how to even out his swing and, and put barrel the ball and, and catch up to some of the higher velocity that we see down here in the Carolina league. A lot of guys struggle to hit that mid nineties fastball, but Logan Cerny is, is one of the few that can, that can send it a long way. So he's, uh, another guy on the offensive end that I'd say that, uh, Fans could keep an eye out on. And then, of course, Tyler Whitaker is a name that everybody wants to know about. He was the Astros' top draft pick in 2021, their third rounder at a Bishop Gorman in Las Vegas. Uh, he's, he's struggling with, with swing and miss this season. He's, he's tops in the Carolina League with strikeouts, but you can still see flashes of why they drafted him. He has two doubles this week against Kannapolis. He had a ground rule double last night. And, and he does have the ability, when he times something up, to hit for power to the left center field and right center field gaps. A lot of speed, a lot of arm strength. He wasn't necessarily drafted as high as he was because of his his hitting, but more so his his just pure athleticism. He's playing shortstop, he's playing 30, he's playing every position in the outfield right now. And and uh, pretty impressive when he can come up as a 19-year-old in, in pro ball and play as many positions right now as Whitaker is is doing. And he's and he's making him look smooth. He played a lot of different positions at like Bishop Gorman in Las Vegas, and now he's doing that with us. And and the biggest thing for him now is just figuring out the swing and and trying to lay off of more curveballs and stuff below the zone. The guys are trying to strike him out with. But, you know, again, he's only 19. So give him a couple more seasons. And I think uh, I think you're going to be pretty pleased with the progress he makes in the coming years.
1: So what do you what do you enjoy doing on your time off if you have very much at all?
2: Yeah, we get the Monday off days, which is nice. Uh, nice in 2019, it used to be like 21 straight games without a day off, and and now we get the Monday off day, which is nice for the players just to recuperate before another six game series, and and broadcasters and front office people as well. But uh, but but golf is uh, golf is a fun off day hobby. We got partnerships with a couple of courses out here in Fayetteville, so we'll go out with uh, some of my roommates and. Uh, and I, I need to get a new set of clubs now that I mentioned that. It's, that's my next big boy purchase is, uh, is a new golf bag, new set of clubs. But I love doing that. Uh, finally, time where you can start hanging out by the swimming pool a little bit. And uh, and I've enjoyed exploring the state of North Carolina. So if there's ever a, a time where I get a chance to go check out a new city, I've been out to Wilmington, North Carolina and the beaches on the Atlantic uh, a couple of times since I've been out here. So love little day trips out to the coast if you can if you can manage to find time for those and and working on the, the suntan a little bit because us broadcasters don't get a lot of sunlight when we're sitting in our, uh, <laughs> in our broadcast booth every day. So try to just get outdoors, relax a little bit and, uh, you know, not work too hard on our, on our Monday off days. Cause then it's six days of hard work afterwards.
1: What are your off season plans?
2: Well, love to go see my, uh, my folks in California. That's usually, uh, usually try and make a couple weeks or a month out to, to go out and, and see them. Last year, we got to go to Los Angeles as a family. My brother, who's living out in Dallas, my mom and my dad. and uh, We went to a Rams game. Dad's a big LA Rams fan, so we went to the new SoFi Stadium and, and checked that out. So we usually make a little time for a family vacation. And uh, and then I also, I had the chance last year just living in Fayetteville for the first time to link on with the uh, Division II college in town. It's uh, Fayetteville State University, and, and uh, for the first time, I was able to call some play-by-play for their football team and also their men's basketball team. Kind of like I was doing at Arizona state and, and uh, hadn't really had the chance to do other sports outside of baseball since getting into the minors in 2018, but, uh, got to link on with the university for the first time and and really got to enjoy calling games for student athletes and telling their stories and working with those coaches and that athletic department. So, uh, trying to continue broadcasting around the Fayetteville area and, uh, and, yeah, just just keep the, keep the reps going in the offseason as much as you can and stay on air.
1: All right. Something I like to do at the end of the podcast is uh, do a segment I call Fair or Foul. Okay. But I don't have any. I don't have any for you. But I do have one.
0: Okay.
1: And it, and it was brought on by my wife because <laughs> she made a sausage. And I said, this is something that you wouldn't eat for breakfast. It's something that you would eat on a bun mm. and with mustard, kind of like a hot dog. Right, he said, "Oh, with ketchup," and so that's what I want to know: fair, or foul, ketchup on a hot dog. Mm.
2: You know, I have I have found myself straying away from ketchup on a hot dog. Like two, three years ago, I would have told you, like getting into the minors for the first time, 2018. I think I had a lot of ketchup on hot dogs around that time. But but then I and then I started uh, I guess started at that point had a couple of bratwursts. You know, where you just go peppers, onions, and some mustard. And you're like, this is the way to to eat a dog. And at that point, I'm like, ketchup, just save it for save it for your meatloaf, man. It's not it's not meant for <laughs> not, not meant for a hot dog. Save it for your meatloaf. You know, it's just like peppers, onions, a little relish, a little mustard. I can do that on a hot dog, but I'm good without the ketchup.
1: Yeah, ketchup on hot dog. To me, or it's Chicago for dog.
2: It's, or, yeah or a Chicago dog where you throw like the tomato in there. I'm good with that, but yeah. um, you know, no, I'm, I can do without the ketchup.
1: Yeah, I, I'm just a mustard guy. Or also, you know, if you get a bratwurst, I like to eat a uh, sauerkraut.
2: Oh yeah, yeah,
1: sauerkraut is good. That's a that's a a learned taste. A lot of people won't even try it. But
2: yeah how's the brat, it, how's the bratwurst at Minute Maid Park? You have a go to concession item out there?
1: No, I don't. I I really don't ever eat anything there. My wife puts food, and you can take food in a gallon bag. We stop at this okay. big gas station called Bucky's. We load up on snacks and we bring it in.
2: Oh, yeah. They're beaver nuggets. are to die for at Bucky's.
1: <laughs> all right. Well, that's all I got for you, buddy. I appreciate you coming on.
2: Absolutely, Rob. Thanks so much for, for having me. And I uh, would love to reconnect at any point in the season and, and talk about uh, some of the stuff we have going on out here in Fadville. I know there'll be a lot, of, uh, a lot of headlines coming out of the draft coming up, too, in a couple of months. So we'll have a whole new look to the team here soon and would love to uh, reconnect with you.
1: All right. Sounds good. All right, for Andrew, we'll see you next time on Astros Baseball.